unlike most of St. Paul's epistles, his epistle to the Romans was not written to a church which he himself had founded by his preaching or which he himself had visited on previous missionary journeys. Paul had never been to Rome when he wrote this letter. Instead, he wished to introduce himself to them to express his desire to see them in the future. And so he writes his longest letter and both clearly and beautifully presents what he teaches so that they may know of his orthodoxy and his commitment to the scriptures despite what his opponents claimed. Our text opens, Now we know, we, that is, we Christians, those to whom Paul is writing, know that whatever the law speaks, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God, that is, liable to punishment for offenses against God. For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. St. Paul is clear in this letter written to the Roman Christians of both Jewish and Gentile backgrounds that through legal works, through works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. This is something that he is at pains to make known to the Romans. Paul knew as a former member of the Pharisee party that moralism and legalism were popular ideas among many of the Jewish people of his day. He knew that many of the Jewish Christians would be tempted to think this way. He also knew that there were many pagan moralist philosophies in the Roman Empire and that the Gentile Christians would likewise be tempted to fall into this same kind of thinking. That is, that our standing before God, or whether or not we enter into eternal life, is dependent upon our good deeds and our actions. To put it another way, that we are justified, that we are declared righteous by God because of our works. This is not something that was only a problem in Paul's day, however. This sort of idea that we can progressively climb our way up to God through our works never really went away. It only changed forms. There are many today, including Christians, who believe that if they apply themselves hard enough, if they pray enough, if they work enough, that God will be pleased by them and accept them because of what they have done. How common the refrain when we think about death, even from Christians. I'm not sure that I've done enough. There is also what we call moral therapeutic deism, a philosophy that can appear anywhere, even among Christians, that says that God simply wants us to be happy and that he wants what is best for our temporal good, and so he will accept all and any who apply themselves to doing their best. And in the wider culture, there is a similar thought, which is seen in the Masonic lodges, but also found in variations everywhere, that if you work hard, if you believe in some sort of God, ultimately, 
do more good than evil, then God, the universe, the ultimate being, or whatever, will be pleased with you. These are tempting propositions, as they ultimately make us feel better about ourselves and put more control into our hands in a world where more and more things seem to be out of our control. But St. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is clear. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Why? <clears throat> Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This knowledge is not simply an intellectual knowledge. It's not an, aha, now I know right from wrong and good from evil. Rather, it is a deep and profound realization of our own sinfulness. It shows us how far that we have failed to meet its standard. And it does that even when we, as Christians, use it as a guide to know God-pleasing works. We find from the Ten Commandments those works which God deems as pleasing to him and which he desires his Christians to do to serve their neighbors. And in that we have a guide, but even in looking to them as a guide, they still condemn us for how we have fallen short. We cannot be justified, that is, be declared righteous by works. We cannot stand before God as judge and say, you have to acquit me, you have to declare me righteous because I have done more good than I have done evil. Therefore, I am righteous. No, every mouth is stopped by the law for none can meet it. And so the whole world is liable to punishment for sins committed against God. None can say, I've tried my best, done my part, God will see that and overlook the rest. Because our sins are against God himself, and there must be an accounting, a reckoning. Indeed, by works of the law, no flesh will be declared righteous in his sight. But now the righteousness of God, that is, the means by which he justifies or declares one righteous, has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God is, received, is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Yes, the righteousness of God, the way in which he declares one righteous, the way in which he justifies, is through faith in Jesus Christ. That is what St. Paul is making clear here. And this is what was reasserted during the Reformation so that God's word may be purely taught. There's no way for us to be declared righteous on our own, by our works. There must be some other way. That way God has provided. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith receives this righteousness of God like the hand of a beggar receives a coin from a benefactor. And this, Paul says, is nothing new. While it has now been manifested, it has always been witnessed to by the scriptures, for he says the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And the law and the prophets, that is the Old Testament, bear witness to the righteousness of God through faith 
in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The first example, the earliest in the Old Testament, is of Abraham, the father of faith. In Genesis 15, it says that upon hearing the promises of God, Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That is justification. The Lord God declaring Abraham righteous because he had faith in his promises. And we also see how the Lord commands the prophet Habakkuk to proclaim, The righteous shall live by his faith. And all of this, the fact that the Lord justifies us by faith in Jesus, that he declares us righteous by faith in Christ, comes by grace as a gift. Because all people have sinned, because all people have transgressed the Lord's commands, there is no way for us to merit justification. There is no distinction for all who have, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This glory of God is not his essential glory. It is not the glory that belongs to him by nature, but rather it's his acknowledgement of us, his good opinion of us. Because we have all sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. It cannot be merited by us. It must be a gift. There is no distinction. It does not only apply to the first part, that all have sinned, but it also references how there is no distinction in all who are justified. There is no distinction. All who are justified are justified by his grace as a gift. It is a gift, a free gift, a gift that comes from God's undeserved favor towards us. That is what grace is. It is God's undeserved favor. To say we are justified by his grace as a gift is to say that we are declared righteous by his undeserved favor as a free gift towards us, a gift that is received by faith. That is how it is received. Faith does not merit this gift. Faith receives this gift. If faith merited or earned justification rather than receiving it, then it would not be grace. Then it would not be a gift. But we must not think, brothers and sisters, as some claim when they hear this, both in St. Paul's day and throughout time, that God's justifying us by faith is unjust, that the righteousness of God is not very righteous. Just because justification comes from God's grace as a gift and it is received by faith, does not mean that there was no cost, by no means. God does not declare us righteous without having made satisfaction for all of our sins. All are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. What is a free gift for us was a costly thing for our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we put our faith, our trust. Our justification can only come through Jesus' perfect obedience and satisfaction made by his blood when he offered himself upon the altar of the cross, bearing the penalty of our sin in our place. <clears throat> the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that is ransom language. The sword of redemption is ransoming. It's the same word in the Greek. It is the language used to speak 
of the cost to free captives and prisoners of war. His lifeblood was the all-sufficient and perfect ransom for us, as our Lord Jesus himself says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even this was witnessed by the law and the prophets, as the Lord God said to Hosea the prophet, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol, I shall redeem them from death. The great cost of this was the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God made man, and this cost was paid by God for us, so that he might justify us by his grace through faith. For God put Jesus Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. Put forward as a propitiation. That's not a word we use very often, but the word behind propitiation here is also used in the Septuagint, that is the Greek Old Testament scriptures, and in the other places in the New Testament to refer to the mercy seat, that is the Ark of the Covenant, the roof of the Ark of the Covenant. And this is truly a beautiful picture of what our Lord has done for us, so that we may be justified through faith in him. Christ Jesus was put forward by God as the fulfillment of the mercy seat. The mercy seat was on the Ark of the Covenant, and so was it was in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, and then later in the temple. It covered up the tablets of stone, the covenant Israel had with God. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would, after slaying a bull for himself and his family, and a goat for all of the nation of Israel, would sprinkle the blood from these sin offerings on the mercy seat to take away those sins. The law within the ark daily condemned the people of Israel for their sin, for not meeting the law, for not fulfilling the commandments and the covenant, but the mercy seat covered it. But then on the day of atonement, on the day when blood was shed and sprinkled upon that mercy seat, on that day those sins were taken away. They were expiated. We have this in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the mercy seat by his blood to be received by faith. The entire fulfillment of the Day of Atonement is found in what our Lord Jesus Christ has done. All of it was put in place in the first place by God in order to point forward to Jesus. He is the mercy seat. He is the place of atonement. He is the high priest, but he's not a high priest that needs to make a sacrifice for himself because he is without sin. He is also the sin offering, slain upon the altar of the cross. Upon the cross, our Lord as high priest offered himself as a sacrifice, and he himself was sprinkled by his own blood and made expiation for all of our sin. And this was much a greater sacrifice than those of the Old Testament. On the Day of Atonement, which happened once a year, those sacrifices covered for the entire year. Our Lord's sacrifice was one day, and it was for all time before and after him. So great was his offering, so that all who look to him in repentant faith receive the forgiveness of sins and are declared righteous for his sake by the grace of God. 
this putting forward of Christ as the mercy seat was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness in the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God's righteousness here is not his essential righteousness, not that which is his by nature, but it is God's righteousness, as St. Paul already defined it in our text. God's righteousness, the means by which he declares a person righteous. In his divine forbearance, in his divine long-suffering and mercy, God passed over former sins, these being the sins of Israel, the sins of those who put their trust in him, knowing that the Son would take on flesh, and knowing that he would offer himself for the life of the world, God passed over the sins of those who believed in him in light of what was coming. It was not that the sins of the people were truly taken away by the blood of bulls and goats before Christ and by his blood after, but all sins are taken away by his blood, both in the New and the Old Testament. Old Testament believers' sins were forgiven by faith in light of what Jesus would do. They were forgiven by his blood, even as the sacrifices and the blood of their sacrifices pointed forward to it. God passed over sins, former sins, because he did not exact the true payment for them. He passed over those sins because they would be fully put away, fully forgiven, fully taken away when Jesus shed his blood. These sins were passed over because of what God would do in Christ to forgive them. This is demonstrated. It is proved. It is shown at the present time, according to Paul, through what Christ has done. Thus God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God no longer passes over sins. He forgives sins in Christ, according to his sacrifice. He no longer overlooks them. He takes them away. And this is received through faith in Jesus Christ. This is how the Lord justifies us, how he declares us righteous through faith in Jesus, by his grace, because of Jesus' sacrifice. And so, brothers and sisters, who trust not in themselves, but in the Lord Jesus, let us bless the Lord at all times, so that his praise is continually in our mouth. For the Lord has redeemed the life of his servants, and because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done in giving his life as a ransom, by acting as high priest, sacrifice, and mercy seat, none of those who take refuge in him, who put their faith in him, will be condemned. Thanks be to God, and may he grant this to all of us through his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.